Seth and myself. So here was Seth. He, I opened up his Sour Patch like kids package. I gave him uh, one of the little candies. He sat on the edge of his seat, literally. Back did not touch the back of the seat once the entire movie. And he sucked on one Sour Patch kid the entire movie, mesmerized of what was going on. It was awesome. I missed half of it because I was looking at Seth the whole time. Loved it. Uh, and then he ate all his popcorn and drank his... Uh, bottle of coke which was the first he's ever had as well uh, on the way home which was super fun yeah it was a big day big day for him thanks for letting me share uh so (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) so we're starting a new series uh tonight called deeper still so we, uh, Kim and I, we've been praying over this. We talked about this way back in June as God reveals things to us in the summer in such a really awesome way and the trajectory in which he wants to take our student body throughout the school year. And so this was a desire of ours to talk about what has taken place so far in the year has been awesome and all glory to God. We've been talking about anointing. We've been talking about the fruit of the spirit. We've been diving into scripture passages and long passages, larger passages and stories to inspire you to read scripture and all that God is doing in our anointing and call into ministry, whether it's like vocational or anything else, right? Like it's all ministry as we go and we love people. And so here we've done this for the first semester and, and now we are here at the beginning of the second semester and we believe God wants to go deeper still. However far or however deep you have felt God has taken you up to this point, he wants to take you deeper still. He wants to go further than you could ever think or imagine this semester. And then when this semester is done, we should do this series again because it will be every semester and every season. God will want to take you further than you've ever been before. Anybody know the greatest commandment? I didn't ask. I just asked if you knew it. That's all I asked. Kim got the answer right. Yes. Okay. What is the first and greatest commandment? The three to four heart, soul, mind, and strength, you guys all got mixed up there. That's fine. I know it's confusing. Matthew does three. Mark does four. I get that. Okay, great. So the first one is love the Lord your God, and the second is like it. It is? All right, good. Awesome. So this is our framework for the next three weeks with our series. Deeper still, this framework of loving God Loving our neighbors and loving ourself will be the next three weeks that we'll talk about here on Wednesday nights. And so this, this moment in which the Pharisees and these lawyers and these Sadducees were, were basically prodding Jesus, asking him questions, hoping that he would stumble in his words or say something that they could then use and in return catch him on something. So they're like, what is the number one rule? What is the number one law, number one commandment that all the law and the prophets talk about? What is it, Jesus? And they're probably like murmuring over to the side. Well, if he says not to murder, well, what about adultery? If he says not to take the Lord's name in vain, well, well what about theft? What about, what about coveting? All that kind of stuff. So what's the most important? And Jesus responds with Mark and how he writes it. He says, hear, O Israel. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. 
And then Matthew, I like the way that he terms it. He says, and the second is like it. I like that. I just like the way that Matthew talks about it. And the second is like it. It's the same, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And in our world today, that as ourselves is a difficult one. So over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how to love our neighbors and how to love ourselves well. But tonight, I want to focus on that first one, to love God and to love God with everything in us. So that heart, that soul, that mind, that strength. Essentially what Mark is talking about, and it's a Hebrew way of talking about this holistic concept. It's, it's all emotion. It's all intellect. It's all will. All of that together. It's, it's everything about you. And Jesus says this, all the law and all the prophets all encompass into this one command to love the Lord your God. And so that's, if you just talk about the law, that's 613 laws that this one command encompasses. And so it's a good thing that it's the first day of classes and we don't really have a lot of homework yet because to go through all 613 of these laws is going to take some time. So just sit back and relax. I'm just kidding. But we're going to try to, in the next 35, 40 minutes, talk about what does that really even mean to love God, encompassing 613 laws, and all of what the prophets came and shared as well, encompassing into that one single command to love God. And so tonight's sermon, we've titled it, Loving God Dash Devotion. So devotion. Devotion to me was this great word that just, it's, it's all of it. It's, it's devoting my mind. It's devoting my heart. It's devoting my soul. It's devoting my strength and everything in me. Devotion. And devotions, when we use it in the plural sense, what do you think of right away? Reading your Bible, praying. Got to do my devos. Got to do my devotions. And yes, it's that, but it's so much larger than that. It's this all-encompassing sitting at the front of a theater seat, looking at what is going on, what God is doing, and having everything about you so enamored and into what God is doing. All of it. Not just a part of it, but all of it. Like coming in hot, right? Not lukewarm, we know, we know that makes Jesus, like, nauseous, right? Lukewarm is nauseating. Revelations 3 talks about that. He wants us to, to be hot and on fire and going for it. Are we all in? Ready? Ready to talk about what it means to be all in? Okay, great. Okay, great. So that framework, that Mark 12, Matthew 23, great commandment, Uh, That's the framework of what we're doing for the three weeks. But tonight, we're actually going to jump into John 14 for our scripture verse for tonight, okay? John 14, if you got your Bibles, get to your Bibles. Uh, If you got a journal, uh, 
write in your journal tonight, okay? There's, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you because, like, we're encompassing everything, basically, the majority of the Old Testament into this one command. And so uh, write a lot. If uh, you like something, again, please say amen. Let's say, let's go for it, or come on, or I'm with you. Whatever it is, Julie and I were just talking about this. This isn't just for my ego, but it's good for unity and for building up. It encourages us. Uh, and if you miss a reference or anything, just be like, I don't know, just say reference check, and I'll tell you what it is, okay? Like, I'm here for you. Let's do this together, okay? Okay? Okay. Awesome. Okay, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. Oh, actually, that's just way easier than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be this, like, detailed, intricate system that we got to figure out. It's like a maze on how are we to devote and love God. Actually, it's just that. Obey my commandments. We're going to get into it. It says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Okay, so we're going from verse 15 to verse 21. There's like 12 different promises just in this section, okay? So he says this, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. There's three promises right there. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So remember, this is prior to Acts, right? This is prior to Acts 2. So that must have been somewhat confusing for the disciples at this time. He lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. There's another promise. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am, my, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. And so we're going to stick on this scripture verse right here. Well, that is a shaky one. So let's look over on that one. For some reason, that is super shaky. So we're going to stick on this scripture verse right here, verse 21, for the rest of tonight. And we'll hit the next slide. And I got three points that we're going to go through with this scripture verse. And the first one is this. Those who accept my commandments to be fully devoted and to love God is first to accept his commands. To accept his commands, we need to know his commands, right? The Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear on the value of knowledge. Knowledge is so important. Not only important, it is so, so valuable. In Proverbs 3, just Proverbs 3 alone, this is what it says, that knowledge Knowledge is more profitable than silver. Knowledge has a better return on gold, right? Your investment into knowledge will have a better return on your investment into gold. That knowledge is more precious than rubies. 
that knowledge will bring long life. How awesome is that? We talk about that so much in our world today, that education can help produce healthy lifestyles that can prolong our life. Knowledge. Proverbs 3 says there's nothing more desirable. Knowledge is, has riches and honor attached to it. To knowledge. There's riches. There's honor Knowledge is pleasant in our ways. I love that. Pleasant in our ways. This is all what Solomon is talking about in Proverbs. It's paths of peace. Who wants some paths of peace in their life? Knowledge will bring about paths of peace in your life. And it also says that you'll be blessed in Proverbs 3. That with wisdom and knowledge and understanding comes a blessing attached to it. It's incredibly important. Solomon, who is incredibly rich, says it is more valuable than all these rubies and all these gold and all this that I have, all these treasures. Knowledge is more valuable and profitable than all of it. Today, our world, we we would say the exact same thing, that knowledge is more valuable than money, All of you are living proof of it by spending enormous amounts of money to be here to gain education and to gain knowledge. And we are at a school that is pretty darn affordable. There are schools that cost way more than this one. And the amount of money that is given in exchange for education in our world today is massive. That's what the world would say. It would agree that money is, sorry, that knowledge, (laughs) that knowledge is more valuable than money. We would exchange the paper of money for the paper of our name on a degree and the education, of course, that's attached to it. So knowledge and wisdom have like two different distinct definitions in our English language. And in the Hebrew language, it's somewhat the same. They have two distinct definitions and words, but they are often used interchangeably, specifically within the Proverbs, specifically within some of the poetic literature in the Old Testament. And so they're used interchangeably. Here's a couple other scripture verses. This is Proverbs 1, 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8, 10 and 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wow. Nothing that you can desire is of more value than knowledge. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. By wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. I love this picture. That knowledge and wisdom and understanding builds a foundation and a house of protection. And treasure and comfort inside of it is what knowledge gives us. In Proverbs 24, 5, a wise man has great power, and a man with knowledge increases in strength. And in order to love God well, we need to know his will. We need to know his commands. 
Can I tell you how encouraged I am already in just a couple of days of this semester starting and the amount of students who have just been telling me their experiences of what scripture has been like over the Christmas break? My dude Graham just read the entire book of Genesis today. Like he was just like in it and loved it and was soaking it all up. Did I say, I said it right, right? You guys are giving me like confused looks here. Are you awake? Yeah, good, right. The knowledge of God is so desirable and so valuable. The need for his knowledge, the need to understand his commands, the need to know it is the beginning of our relationship with him. It comes at the understanding of God. Without the understanding of God, how can we please him? Without knowing him, how can we produce what he wants us to be? Right? The goal in life is to be like Christ, to follow Jesus, to live according to the spirit and the example that Jesus gave us. But without reading, without understanding, without diving into, without researching, and without the knowledge of it, how can we do this well? Jesus loved to do the will of the Father, and he said, it is my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So relationships, okay? I'll give you a quick relationship. Guys, I've said this before. The key, so it doesn't matter if you're married, doesn't matter if you're dating, or if you're looking to be in one of those two, okay? Listen up. A relationship with a female, what you need to do is when you talk and you bring up a subject or they bring up a subject and you're conversing, the key to a healthy one is that you listen to what they say. As something comes in, you listen. And then the, it's not even a part two. It's just like a point or one point A is what it is. Okay. You have to remember what they say. It's not in one and out the under other. You listen and then you remember, you hold it in there and you remember what they say. Okay. And then, and then in the future, near, far, you got to discern this. You relay that information back to them. For example, if, I'll use an example of this, okay? I'm going to, if Rebecca was here, I would get brownie points. So she loves to cook. She loves it. She is so good at cooking. And she watches all these cooking shows online all the time. And so I just know this because I listen to her. And so for Mother's Day this last year, I bought her a cooking class at like a, restaurant kind of boutique thing in Langley that she just loved because she got to go into and and literally live out a cooking show with an instructor and all these people around. And she loved it. And so it's just listening, it's remembering, and then it's relaying that information back at the proper time. So if they like chocolate milk, guys, listen, remember, and then relay, give give them chocolate milk at some point. Okay? <laughs> Are you catching my drift? Okay. I love chocolate milk. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> okay, but, but listen, listen. Shh, shh. Knowledge, knowledge itself isn't just enough. Okay? Knowledge itself is not enough. There, there's a cap to knowledge. There's a, there's a limit to knowledge. 
Okay, Jesus often said the words, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. So it's not just those who have ears, let him hear. It's those who have ears to hear. It's ears that are attuned. Okay, it's not just the information coming into you. It's ears that is receiving that information, receiving that knowledge, and then using the wisdom to apply that knowledge to your life. So yes, knowledge is key. Knowledge absolutely is important. We need the understanding, but it has to be an action word like hearing where that knowledge comes in and then application is produced from that knowledge. Okay? There is some very clear scriptures about the cap of knowledge, of the limit that it has. So in 1 Corinthians 8, it talks about that knowledge puffs up as well. It can bring about a lot of pride in our lives. If we are are just seeking after knowledge, and that's it. That's what the Pharisees were. That's what the Sadducees were. These religious lawyers and leaders, they had a ton of knowledge, but there was no application to it whatsoever. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, he's talking about food being sacrificed to idols. And he says, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. And anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. I love that. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, for knowledge is always incomplete and our prophecy is always incomplete. And when the complete comes, when Jesus comes, that is the end of the incomplete. So knowledge has a limit, right? It's not just going after information. It's not just going after knowledge so we know it. There has to be an application in and through your lives to make something worth of it. And some of you may be here at Bible College and concerned, well, I don't know very much. I don't have much knowledge, Not having knowledge should not be a bother to you. We should be bothered by the things we do understand, yet don't apply to our lives. Do not be bothered by the things that you do not know. But be bothered by the things that you do know, that you resist to apply into your lives. So that leads us to our second point. First is to accept his commands And that is to obey them. So to know it is one, but to obey them, it's the two together in which Scripture says those are the ones who love God. To accept his commands and then to be obedient in them. See, obedience obedience is everything. Loving God is more about obedience than anything else. Loving God is to do more with obeying him than anything else. And to profess a love for God, but to fail to obey his commands, honestly shows our true attitudes and feelings towards God. Yeah, but loving God is hard sometimes. But it's difficult sometimes. I don't want to do it sometimes. In 1 John 5.3, 1 John 5.3 says, Loving God means keeping his commands. 
and his commands are not burdensome. That's what he says. Same author. Loving God is keeping his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. They're, they're not. They're not heavy. Actually, they're quite easy and light, is what Jesus says. Easy. I get living the Christian life is a struggle at times. Scripture says that it's not burdensome, and it's not that the fact that the commands are the burdensome. It's our posture towards them is what gives weight and struggle to it. In 1 Samuel 15, he says that obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering. So it's not even just the command of giving the sacrifice, of giving the offering. It's the heart posture of obedience and surrender to what you're doing. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than than offering. I believe that you can, you can learn to love what you give yourself to. You can learn to love what you give yourself to. Marriage is the exact same rule to this, or, or concept to this rule. Like, I love, I love my wife. And I did on the altar, and I do today, and I will continue to do for the rest of my life, but I still got to learn so much. And the more that I learn, the more that I love And you can learn to love what you give yourself to. Richard Foster, I love this line. He says, holy habits deepen into fixed patterns of life. Right? Isn't that great? It should be up there. Can we put it up there? Next slide. Holy habits deepen into fixed patterns of life. So things that may be unnatural, we can work at continually that... They can become habits. And as we continue to persevere and push through those habits, they can deepen into fixed patterns of life. He says, we experience an ongoing preponderance. Who uses that word? That's amazing. We experience an ongoing preponderance of right actions flowing from a heart that is right with God. And we are ever in the process of becoming holy. Uh, In Luke 7, there's this story where Jesus goes over to Simon Peter's house. And Simon Peter is hosting Jesus and a few others in his home for a dinner party. And what's customary to the culture there at this time was to greet your guests with a kiss. Another thing that was customary prior to dinner was to wash their feet as they were to sit down. These were customary gestures to do in that culture that would show worth and value to your guests, that they were welcomed there, that you were glad that they were there, that they were important to you to being there. And so Jesus coming into Peter's house, he comes in and doesn't receive a kiss. He comes in and he sits down and he does not receive a foot washing. And does anybody know what happened? What happens, no, that's later, which is a beautiful, beautiful scene that Peter doesn't do to Jesus, and yet Jesus does it to Peter. What a picture of grace and love. But in this specific situation, what happens is there's this unnamed woman in, the, uh, in Luke chapter 7 that he writes about who comes to Jesus and weeps over his feet and takes her hair and cleanses Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she takes out this expensive ointment and she pours it on Jesus' feet as a sign of, of respect 
as a sign of authority, but also as a sign of this experience, this before you at your feet and in your presence is more valuable than anything of material that I own. And in that moment, Jesus, what an awesome teacher. Like, he's the guy that in any moment takes the situation and makes a teaching moment out of it. I love that. I want to be more like that. In any moment, I can say, yeah, well, this is like the kingdom because blah. So this is what Jesus does. This lady pours ointment onto his feet. And he says, Peter, come here. <laughs> Look at this. Look at what this lady has done. And he says, let me tell you a story. If there was a guy, a creditor of some kind, and there's two people who owed him money. One of them was 500 pence, which is about half a year's wage. So if we were to take that in our Canadian society for what a half a year's wage, I looked it up. The average wage of a Canadian is $51,000 a year. It's the average salary for those who are employed with a salary full time. So let's say 25000 to make it easy, okay? $25,000 is one person is in debt. Then there's the other person who is also in debt, and they are only 50 pence in debt. 50, 500, that's 10%. So what's 10% of 25,000? 2,500. Okay, you guys with me? Tracking with me? Okay. So that's the money and what we can relate to. If there's a person who owed $25,000, and then there's a person who owed $2,500, Jesus says to Peter, who would be more grateful? Well, the person with the $25,000 is what Peter responds with. And Jesus says, Peter, you're right. They would be. And Peter's like, okay. <laughs> and then he says, those, and he looks at the lady. He says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Forgiven much, love much. What it is in that moment is Jesus came into Peter's home. And Peter didn't understand in that moment the authority and the value and his need of a savior, of a need for Jesus to save his life. And this woman understood fully of who Jesus was. And to understand salvation and to be found we need to know how absolutely lost and in debt we were to begin with. And here's this woman who understood how broken and how helpless and how lost she was. And she was in need of a savior to come and redeem her. And, G and Peter was clueless to the fact of how much he needed this savior. He was unaware of it. And so those who are forgiven much, love much. So for us today, what does that mean? I believe those who understood how lost they were and how broken they were and how deprived of life and hope they were have such a life-giving obedience to Jesus because they understood how lost they were. They understand that there is now hope and freedom and so then in obeying his commands, it isn't actually burdensome. Oh, man, I receive with such joy to obey what he tells me to do. 
I receive with such hope and there's such beauty in completing the commands that he asks of me because I was so broken and I was so hurting and I was so lost and now there is hope and there is freedom and there is future and I will do whatever it is now because my debt has been paid and I no longer have to live in this weight that is killing me. This here isn't heavy. This is light. This isn't burdensome. This is glorious and beautiful and full of joy and full of freedom. And it's not hard because of how hard that was. That's what the woman understood. And in that moment, Peter didn't. And Peter learned some real life lessons later on in his life about his need for a savior. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who understand how lost they were And now how found they are, how pleasing it is to be obedient to his commands. Amen? Amen. So back to our scripture verse. John chapter 14. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them. What a great promise. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Knowing God does not come through a program. It does not come just through a Bible study. It does not come through some three-month version Bible devotional plan, which all of those are amazing, by the way, okay? It doesn't come just through that. Knowing God comes through a relationship with a person a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through this relationship, God reveals himself. He reveals his purpose. He reveals his ways. And when we obey, God accomplishes things through you that only he can do. He accomplishes things in you that only he can do. And scripture shows that knowledge of God comes through experience as he reveals himself to you. Scripture shows that the knowledge of God comes through experience as he reveals himself to you. So in the Old Testament and New Testament, both, names are very important, right? Names are incredibly important because names aren't just a name that you call out to somebody. They're identifiers is what they are. Okay? They're identifiers of a person. They're identifiers of their attributes. They're identifiers of their character. They're identifiers of their nature. So uh, often, too, God would change the names of people to a new name, which gave a new meaning, right? Of value and of worth. He calls us sons and daughters and heirs to the throne. Therefore, we have value and worth because of the names that he gives us. We talked about Peter, Simon to Peter, okay, who has weight and is a cornerstone of this church, right? There is weight and meaning to the name. Abraham to Abraham, right? We even talked about last semester, okay, with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Remember, Naomi means pleasant. And then when she came back, she didn't want to be called Naomi anymore. She wanted to be called, oh, I lost the name of it now, which means bitter. That's all I remember. It just means bitter. Orpah, was it Orpah? Mara, thank you. Well done. So she wanted to be called Mara because no longer did she want to be called Naomi because being called Naomi meant pleasant. So calling out that person's name means their character and their attributes. So names have worth. 
Names have value and meaning. And, and to be honest, Rebecca and I, we, again, take this to such a personal level that when we named our kids, it was the same thing. So Rebecca, she's got a, a Hebrew name, a biblical name where there's meaning to it. I have a non-biblical name, Gavin, but has a really cool meaning. It means white hawk. Like, how cool is that, right? <laughs> white hawk. <laughs> so anyways, we gave meaning to our kids in the names that we selected for them. So Seth means anointed in compensation. And his middle name is Griffin, and Griffin means warrior. And so the meaning of Seth's name is anointed warrior. And Simeon, he, uh, his name means to speak courage, or no, to speak out. And then Arthur is his middle name, which is courage. So it is to speak courage. And so we believe that every time we call out the names of our kids, we are speaking their character into their lives. We are speaking their nature over them. We're speaking these attributes that they are going to rise to as they grow into men. That we believe that Seth has a calling on his life, that he will be an anointed warrior that will stand up for what is right. And it may not be in the physical thing where he's fighting battles, but it may be in the moral and the, the spiritual battles that are at hand. That we want him to stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. Sorry, I didn't think I'd get emotional about this. And Simeon is to speak courage over people's life. To encourage to build up. Like he's a little turd right now, but <laughs> we believe that as we speak this over him, <laughs> he will develop into a person who speaks courage. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and so we believe in the value of names, in speaking over someone's life, their nature and their character and in who they are. And I believe the same thing is for God. Like why would our names have meaning and his doesn't? We know the names of God have meaning. And so I think of the story of Abraham and Isaac. God was always God almighty to Abraham. And then he asks Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him. Would you accept my command? That would be a tough one. But Abraham accepts this command. And he obeys. And he obeys to the point of getting there right before the sacrifice. And again, sacrifice is not as important as submission. And it was the heart posture of obedience is what God desired, not the actual sacrifice. And so here's Abraham who accepts the command and is obedient. And God then provides a ram in the thicket for him. And do you know what Abraham calls that mountain? The Lord will provide. So in that moment, God the Almighty became God the provider for his life. Because there's knowledge that we can talk about God being the provider. But there's so much more when we know God the provider. When we've experienced provision from him, that as we obey his commands, as we accept and obey them, Jesus will reveal himself to you in a way that you have never experienced before. That's his promise. That he would reveal himself to you. 
A name associated with a person includes that person's presence. And to call on one's name is to seek that person's presence. It's to call out their character. It's to call out their nature. It's to call out their attributes. And what is it this year? Maybe I can pray over you. I'm going to get the band to come on back up. A name of God that you have yet to experience, that he has yet to reveal this element of his character or his nature to you, that maybe you've heard about but have yet come to an experience in. And so I'm going to use the one provider in my life because he has in amazing ways this last year for me than ever before in my entire life. I've heard stories about stuff like this all the time. I've heard stories about God providing for this person and that person, and he takes care of the needs and blah, 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 and a sacrifice is given or a surrender or obedience takes place, and then God does something amazing. Well, this last year has been trying for Rebecca and I in the sense that we value being the ones who raise our kids. And because we value being the ones to raise our kids, we don't want to put our kids in daycare or in preschool or anything like that. And so Rebecca's been staying at home doing a wonderful job raising our parents. But you don't get paid. (laughs) You don't get a salary staying at home and raising kids. Okay? (laughs) And so we right now, as a couple, combined in our salary, because it's not just my salary, it's ours together, okay? As a married couple, we're one. We make now the least we've ever made together in our marriage because we've always had two jobs working together and even though I started with way less than what I make now and you make less when you start that's just how it works okay and it grows our combined total 12 years ago was still more than what we're making and we made in 2018 and we have the most people living in our house right now than ever before and I have been stressed all year with finances all year long I've been stressed with finances And my wife, she is full of faith. And I'm like, why are you you stressed about this? And then she's like, why are you stressed about this? And what a challenge it has been in my life to be obedient to this year for what God has for us. And we ended the year. Okay, like we're talking, we're talking more than $20,000 less in 2018 than we made in 2017. In 2017, she was on EI, so we've made more than just 20 a year is what she would make. So a couple years ago, we're more than like 30 plus thousand dollars less than what we used to make. And at the end of the year, this year, we are no different than where we were a year ago. And no different than we were two years ago. And we're making 20 plus thousand dollars less than in the past. And this stories that I've heard about this God, the provider, has become my provider more than ever before in my entire life. And so I'm asking you tonight, what area of your life, of your devotion, whether it's heart, soul, mind, or strength, that you have yet to give over in full submission and in full obedience? that he wants to reveal his name to you of one that you've never experienced before. 
a name that you can call upon and experience his nature and experience his presence and experience his character that you've never experienced before in your life. So would you stand with me? And I'm going to allow you to respond however you feel you ought to obey in this moment. What part do you need to surrender over? What name do you need to call out to? Is it Yahweh the Lord? Is it God my provider? Is it Abba Father? If you've never accepted him as your heavenly father. Maybe that's a hard one for you to say is dad to him. Maybe it's Prince of Peace that you've never understood. True peace in your life. Maybe it's the advocate that needs to advocate for you. That you need to allow him to advocate for you. Maybe it's the counselor, the helper, that you just surrender and say, God, I need help in this moment. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to come to the front. I'm going to pray. And this place is open. And seek God to call out his name, to be obedient to his commands. Because if you do, he will reveal himself to you. Heavenly Father, my provider, thank you for the provision that you have given to me in my life. Thank you for the provisions that you give to each person that is represented here in this room. You, God, are so good, beyond our even understanding of that description. But we call out to you, Yahweh. We call out to you, Abba. We call out to you, Jesus. We call out to you, the Prince of Peace, the Friend of Sinners, the one who gives peace that surpasses our understanding. Holy Spirit, our Counselor and our Helper, we seek you and we seek your presence. And would you come now in this moment and reveal yourself Give a fresh revelation of who you are tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. This place is opened up for you guys. Come to the front, come to the altar. God bless you.